Welcome to Untangle, the podcast from Meditation Studio. I'm your host, Patricia Karpus. In this series, we introduce you to real people with extraordinary stories and experts who have devoted their lives to teaching and helping others through meditation. In today's episode, I interview Richard Miller. Richard is a PhD clinical psychologist, author, researcher, and yogic scholar, and is the founder of the Integrative Restoration Institute, or the iRest program, which uses Yoga Nidra along with a 10-step protocol as a foundation for healing trauma. He's worked extensively with veterans, hospices, prisons, and schools, and is having a pretty dramatic impact. Richard says that our emotions often get hijacked when we're stressed, anxious, or experience repeated trauma, and we lose our ability to find our innate sense of peace and relaxation. His work helps us to recapture this. Before we begin, I'm excited to share that Meditation Studio app was selected as one of Time Magazine's top 50 apps of 2016. The app has 200 meditations, three courses, 27 teachers, and is designed to let you select the guided meditations that are best for you. If you haven't downloaded it yet, I'd love for you to give it a try. Now, here's Richard Miller. Richard Miller, welcome to Untangle. I am so happy to have you here today. Lovely being here with you, Patricia. Yeah, I've had the uh, honor of being able to review and study some of the work that you've done, and I've done some of your your Yoga Nidra meditations, and it's just been so great uh, to learn more about this. And your work has been such a gift to so many. Um, and I would love to take our listeners, sort of wind back the clock and Let's go to 1970 um, and hear you know, how this all got kick-started for you. Sure. It's a, it's a funny story. I was new to San Francisco, having just moved here from the East Coast, uh, having graduated college. And I'm living in San Francisco, looking to meet some people. And I happened to sign up for a yoga class, thinking I'll meet some like-minded folks. Well, it turns out the class, unbeknownst to me, was going to be taught in silence. So for 12 weeks, I went into the building, left the building in silence. I never met a soul, but I like to say that I met myself, actually, the first class. And the evening, at the end of the class, this was at the Integral Yoga Institute, um, I was lying there. The woman teaching the class gave us what I now know as a rudimentary yoga nidra meditation. And I had the most profound, transformative meeting of myself. And when I walked out that evening, it felt like I was interconnected and not separate from the entire cosmos. And I remember going home that evening making a vow just spontaneously to try to understand what just happened. What was this um, meditation that I had just engaged? And that set me off on, you know, the next 40 some odd years to where I am now, investigating it, reading it, studying with some of the most incredible teachers in the world and slowly integrating the teaching and then bringing it out in uh, so many different forms and populations that now is being uh, taught to. Well, let me um, ask you this question. Were you already a clinical psychologist when you went to that first yoga class? And for people that don't know what yoga nidra is, um, it's pretty amazing to have such a 
transformative experience in your first yoga experience like that. Um, so I, I think people would be curious, what, what is Yoga Nidra and what was the magic of that moment for you? Well, at that time, I was a graduate with my BS in psychology, and I was looking to train in psychotherapy, which I subsequently did and began in San Francisco by meeting a mentor sometime after that first class. But in that first class of yoga and meditation, I was really a naive practitioner, having never studied yoga, didn't even know what it really was. Yoga for me means um, that we really deeply experience it at a really embodied physical way in our body, a sense of interconnectedness with both ourself and the universe around us, where we see, in a manner of speaking, everything as an expression of an underlying essence, so that we're all interconnected at a very deep fundamental level. And nidra, while it means sleep in Sanskrit, it's actually representing a changing state of consciousness. So it can represent we're sad, we're happy, we're irritated and angry, we're peaceful, we're calm. So a changing state of consciousness. So when I think of yoga nidra, when they chain together as two words, it means to know ourself interconnected with ourself and the entire cosmos around us, no matter the state of mind or body we may be experiencing. So that means that we could be in a state of grieving because we've lost someone dear to us, and yet underneath we feel this basic core happiness and joy and interconnectedness that just can't be destroyed. Some years ago, that understanding really uh, awoke in my own body, and over the years since, I've had times when I've been in acute pain, I've had times when I've been grieving deeply for my parents, say, when they passed on, or a deep friend. And yet that underlying joy, that equanimity, I would say a profound peace, never was touched. It stayed in place throughout those different movements of consciousness. It sounds incredibly profound, and it, it just sort of begs the question, how do you get there? And what is that teaching of the yoga nidra that takes you to that place and and you know the simplest question of all how long does it take everybody wants to have that underlying joy so they can quickly move through um these you know the, the darker side of emotions in our lives well what i came to discover was that it's not something we learn it's something we have actually innately inside of us. We're born with it, but it gets covered over. So yoga and the teachings of yoga nidra are actually helping us uncover it and recover it. And it's something that I've come to understand is easy to experience, but it can be so simple and sometimes so subtle that it's easily dismissed. It's as simple as the feeling we all know when we're simply taking a moment and just be when we're between two doings, we might say, or between two thoughts or two experiences. And we're just having a momentary settling back in an easy chair, or we could be walking down the street. And there's just this easy feeling of simply being. And what I've come to understand, and you could try it in this moment, and anybody listening to this, if we simply take a moment and sense our two hands and 
turn our hands into sensation. So we're not thinking about our hands, we're actually feeling first the left and then the right and both at the same time. The more we sense our body, our hands say of sensation, we can feel how the thinking mind begins to quiet down because we can't think and feel at the same moment. So the more we feel the body as sensation, it helps us ease back into a moment of just being. It's always been with us, albeit for many people it's in the background, and so the teachings help pull it into the foreground of our experiencing. But as we learn how to just rest for longer periods of in-being, we can find that there's something here that's never been hurt, never been harmed, can't be traumatized, always feel whole, spacious, equanimous, peaceful, and it's always here. We just tend to get hijacked by the foreground movements of an emotion or a thought or some circumstance, and we forget the basic ground of being. Yeah, I love what you're saying about getting hijacked because that little place of innate joy that you talk about is um, so deeply hidden for so many people that have dealt with all kinds of different trauma. And I know, you know, that's one of the areas that you work with is, is trauma among others. And I know you started this institute working with wounded warriors, veterans. You know, will you talk a little bit about that? Yes, in 2004, the military approached me to see if I'd be willing to entertain a study, a research study, with uh, wounded warriors coming back from the battlefront with severe PTSD. And we entered into a study using my IRES program, and at the end of the study, all but one of the subjects were below the baseline, so they were all below being diagnosed with PTSD, except for one who was hovering right at that, that baseline. So he was almost free of PTSD. And so they instituted my program right then and there into Walter Reed, so any uh, returning wounded warrior could have access to my program. One of the deep appreciations I've come to understand is when we have trauma or long-term stress, it tends to disconnect us from our emotions, our thoughts, our body feelings, and the world around us as a way of trying to cope through the difficulty that stress brings into our body. And this term hijacked is actually uh, an actual fact that when we're under stress or when we've been traumatized, the, the emotional limbic system in our brain actually activates it doesn't turn off and the hippocampus and other structures in our brain actually begin to deactivate. So we get hijacked by our emotions, by um, negative thinking and recursive thinking loops, and we lose perspective and the ability to see through a circumstance. And we lose that innate joy and that innate sense of peace and relaxation. So a lot of my work is helping people recapture that innate joy and well-being and sense of wholeness, and I have specific uh, approaches using meditation to help them then heal through the trauma by helping them work with the emotions, the thoughts, the memories, the different images that, that have arisen as a result of their stress.
when you first started working with the veterans, was it really challenging to get them to be open to experience this methodology? You know, they came to me and they said, look, we're military. We don't do yoga. We don't do meditation. So call it something else. So I renamed it Integrative Restoration and put the little acronym IREST on it so that we kind of put the, 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 the... I thought to, to rest and we, we help people restore that sense of wholeness. So they came and they said, hey, we can, do, we can do integrative restoration. After the study was so successful and for some months uh, they were having further success with the soldiers who were coming into the veterans coming into our program, they came back to me and they said, you know what, we like what you're doing. You can call it anything you want. So we actually call it Integrative Restoration, I Rest, Yoga, Nidra, Meditation. And that way I can come in to a homeless shelter. We're working with women who've been rescued from human trafficking. We work with uh, traumatized youth. So I can come into any facility and teach Integrative Restoration as a secular approach to healing trauma or depression or anxiety or insomnia. So... Uh, while it comes from an ancient lineage of yoga, I've been able to look at what are the underlying principles and present them in a very secular manner where a person could be from a Jewish background, a Catholic background, they could be Muslim, they could be a Buddhist or an atheist, and that yet they still find value that the program complements their philosophical and religious spiritual background. When you go into hospice or homeless shelter or work with women who have experienced human trafficking or other mm-hmm. types of trauma, how do you adapt it to these different populations? Well, we've got a, uh, a 10-step protocol. So there are 10 individual steps we teach people depending on the population and the issues that we're working with within their body and their mind we will incrementally teach them the program a little bit at a time because we don't want to trigger Mm. their stress or their post-traumatic syndrome. We want to give them the tools slowly so they integrate it. But ultimately, yes, everybody gets the same 10 steps. And we've learned that there's certain language that we tailor with with a certain population. Like when we came in to work with a group of Um, alcoholics in recovery from chemical dependency, we found that none of them had ever been in an environment where they felt safe. So we dropped the use of the term, can you find a place within you where you feel safe? And we substituted the word secure because they all could relate to the word secure. They could find an image or a place that represented a sense of security. But interestingly, safety was a word they couldn't relate to. Oh, that's interesting. And there are words with military we don't tend to use because of the uh, circumstances they have found themselves in on the battlefield. There are certain trigger words that just aren't useful, and so we can make substitutions that help their healing process rather than re-triggering their trauma. So how much of your program comes from your, you know, the the Western work as a clinical psychologist and your training in that area versus your interest in, in Buddhism and in yoga. How, how did you, what was your sort of process for pulling this all together to come out with this program? Well, fortunately, my first mentor who really 
mentored me into the skill of how to do therapy, psychotherapy. She herself had been born in the Far East. She had been taught by students of uh, R.D. Lang and existentialism. She studied with Eric Fromm in humanistic psychology, and she got educated at Berkeley. She came to me with an incredibly integrated Eastern-Western perspective. So right from the beginning of my training as a therapist and psychologist, I was integrating these principles the protocol that I teach is actually the same one that's been taught for thousands of years, but I would say it's been uh, tailored for the 22nd century. People have often asked me, if I do your program, what, what do I come out as? And I said, you come out as a fully functioning human being, all 12 cylinders where you're capable of having any emotion any thought, befriending it, knowing how to respond, no matter the circumstance you find yourself in, and you develop an incredible sense of kindness, compassion, love, and that ability to just be a human being meeting another human being. Are there any similarities between this program and like MBSR and new programs that are focused on self-compassion, would you say? There are similarities. Uh, the difference is, say, in our approach, we do what we call body sensing, but we do it with people lying down where they're learning to be subtly aware of all the different sensations as feedback mechanisms. We're teaching them how to be very proactive with an emotion. We're also teaching them how to how to utilize it as information that is teaching them or trying to show them an action they need to take into the world so that their life works better. And we do the same thing with cognitions, thoughts, images, memories. So we have a very proactive stance that we teach in meditation where some other forms of meditation, I would say, are more passive in how they relate to a particular emotion or thought. We also build right in from the beginning um, what we call an inner resource, helping people find at the very beginning this inner sense of wholeness, well-being, uh, that, that leads to an incredible sense of resiliency. Because I feel as a, both as a clinical psychologist and as a meditation teacher, it's unethical if I don't teach them right from the beginning, this sense of wholeness and well-being, so that we're doing the protocol not to get that, but from out of that. And interestingly, one of the most beautiful feedback I got was from a veteran in Florida who said, every approach that I had engaged up until yours was always showing me what was wrong with me and what needed to be fixed or changed about me. You're the first protocol that right from the very beginning showed me what was right about me, what was whole, and I realized I don't need to be fixed or changed. Sure, my emotions, my thoughts, my experiences need to be worked with and changed, but me, I'm whole, I'm healthy, I'm okay, I've never been traumatized, but I have trauma. So it's a very different uh, formulation than some approaches to meditation where you're spending days, months, years, sometimes decades trying to unfold into this basic ground of wholeness. We introduce it from day one, minute one, 
really trying to establish that right from the very beginning. Have you seen any research that has looked at differences between different types of modalities uh, on different populations like veterans? We've done ourselves 26 research studies to date with post-traumatic stress, insomnia, and different issues, depression, working with cancer, multiple sclerosis, and have, have had tremendous success. But I haven't yet been in a study where, say, somebody is being given our approach and a, a traditional Western approach. What I love is that um, some of these modalities have also been compared to medication and talk, talk therapy in and of themselves and in very positive ways. Is that correct? It is. And interesting, we did a research study in uh, California where we ran 175 uh, patients who had sleep disorders through our protocol as an alternative to medication, and they all got significant results. What I see is um, the veterans uh, have reported, and we've seen it in our research, as they do IRS, they don't need usually as much medication uh, as they did before the program, so they titrate back on their depression meds or their pain meds, and some have gone off or even reduced their diabetic uh, medication as they get less stress in their lives. And so we see the programs like iRest and obviously MBSR and others were wonderful adjunctive supportive programs that can be integrated with other programs, uh, medicines, as well as other cognitive therapies and other approaches. It is one of the things I would love every returning veteran and even every veteran before they return to have, say, access to our protocol. I think it would help them bridge that transition from being active duty to being uh, in the marketplace again with their families. And we do see... Uh, a tremendous benefit to those veterans who have been using our program during that transitional phase and afterwards they don't need the same amount of medications or they don't need medication at all. Um, can you talk a little bit about the 10-step protocol? Tell us a little bit about the steps sure. in general. That would be awesome. There, there are three initial steps where we help a person inquire into their intention. Why are they doing this? And if it was successful, what would they like to have come out of it? And then helping them, we would say, restore or discover this underlying core essence of wholeness and being. So those are the first three steps. We feel it's really important for a person to be grounded in their intention and their overall vision, or what veterans like to say, their mission, and this inner resource of wholeness and well-being. We teach them breathing exercises that can help them deeply relax. So we're helping them both awaken their body as an instrument of feedback and information, but we're also giving them techniques to help them learn how to deeply relax in the midst of any circumstance they might find themselves in. Then we have two steps where we're teaching them how to proactively relate to their emotions, their thoughts, images, memories, experiences, so that they're learning the tools to with which to meet their emotions and their thoughts because a lot of, say, trauma, uh, people get hijacked by their emotions and they find themselves reacting rather than responding, and so we're helping them learn how to respond rather than react. 
when they find themselves being triggered. And we teach them relational skills, so how to relate both to themselves as well as to their spouse or friends or in the workplace so that they're learning how to deal with their emotions and their uh, thoughts when they're out in the world. Then we have a component where we're teaching them how to gain perspective because part of that hijacking is that we lose perspective and we're not able to, in a way, step back and get a more helicopter view of circumstances that might be unfolding in the moment. So we teach them skills of how to step back, gain a perspective, and then we have a step in there where we're helping them access a sense of joy and well-being, and then we interweave that through the other nine stages of the protocol. And the, the kind of last step, which is the integrating phase, is we're helping them practice being out in the workplace, in the marketplace, with their friends, with their spouse, with their children, and helping them practice difficult situations. And interestingly, a difficult situation could be one where they find themselves in stress or in an argument or a, a conflict with someone, but it could also be where they're in a situation which is uh, where there's great joy. People are celebrating a birthday or a Christmas or some holiday where there's great joy and it's triggering off memories of someone they've lost through their trauma. So we're teaching people both how to be with, we might say, destructive or difficult emotions as well as how to navigate joy and happiness. It just sounds to me like you've really woven together these great elements of personal growth teachings, therapy, yoga, meditation. It just seems like such a well-crafted program to really be able to help people. And, and it makes me wonder, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if uh, this was part of our educational system and if children learned many of these steps while they're young so that when we become older and deal with these much more challenging situations, we have these tools to be able yeah, to handle? Yeah. I'll tell you a cute story. We have a poster that I created with 108 emotional faces on it. We give it to the four-year-olds and the five-year-olds to learn how to meditate on their difficult emotion and its opposite, their, their joyful or relaxed emotion. And one day a mother came in. She said, you know, last night I was upset. And my four-year-old came over to me and said, Mom, Mommy, you feel really upset. Would you come over here to my chart and let's meditate on your opposites of emotion? So when we find the four-year-olds teaching the adults and the parents how to deal with their emotions, we know we're doing good work. Your work is absolutely, uh, it's amazing. I mean, this has been such an incredibly enriching conversation. Tell me for yourself, you said you didn't have an owner's manual when you were a child, and you certainly wish you had. Yeah. How has this work personally changed your life? When I started in with iRest, or this yoga nidra meditation, I didn't know who I was. I was raised in a culture where children were to be seen and not heard. I had no ability to know my own voice, my own authenticity. As the years went by and I really dove into this approach to meditation and with some very wonderful profound mentors and teachers, you know, I met myself. I became friends with my emotions, my thoughts, my authentic voice. Uh, it's like 
I know how to walk into the world now as an integrated human being, not afraid, not anxious, because I learned how to deal with anxiety and fear, and really how to be a good human being, both kind to myself and loving and kind to the people around me. Uh, so for me, I, I value it having saved my life. This is such incredible work and it certainly makes me want to dive deeper into it. Thank you so much for sharing your work with us and I'm just so impressed and uh, honored to be able to have chatted with you. Well, thank you. And, you know, one thing that occurs to me is this is an ancient protocol. It feels like it was handed to me. I'm trying to hand it off to others. So it's a pay, a paying forward for how it really changed my life. I'm trying to pay it forward to those who come after me. So Wow. Well, you clearly are paying it forward. Thank you so much. And we'll look forward to chatting with you again in the future. Great. Thank you, Patricia. Thanks so much to Richard, and thank you all for listening. Be sure to check out irest.us for more on Richard and his program, and we look forward to sharing more inspiring stories next week. Once again, if you have feedback or suggestions for guests, email us at patricia at meditationstudioapp.com. And don't forget to check out Meditation Studio App in the App Store.